personal responsibility. What is it? Why is it important? What is original sin? Does it interfere with personal responsibility? These are some of the questions we'll bandy about in today's show. As always, it's important to remember, not all questions have answers, and that's okay. You have to have courage to face the unknown when you're off the reservation. Welcome to the show. We thought we'd try a little bit of regal entrance music there, and if that's not regal enough for you, then I don't know what is. Exactly. And I came in on a horse with a crown. Exactly. Um, so I'm Eric. Welcome to the show. You're off the reservation, and I'm as always, I'm joined by my lovely wife, Garrison. So. That would be me. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at, um, at Eric Pelham. And I am at Garamone, G-A-R-R-I-M-O-N-E. And send us friend requests on Facebook. We are indiscriminate, and we will promise to offend you, at least I will, at some time in the near future. Eric will offend you, and I will apologize. (laughs) That's the way we roll. So, um, uh, getting into the show here, for our first segment, we're doing uh, podcast news. So, I just heard an episode of the Joe Rogan Experience, and he had Duncan Trussell and Ari Shafir on... Or uh, Ari Schaefer, as he hates to be called, um, and that it was a phenomenal show. They talk. They started out talking about organized religion and how it's bad, and 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 atheist and the rise of atheism. And they got into some pretty some pretty sac- sacred ground when they started talking about the new American Sniper movie that's out and some of the. Uh, uh, let's say questions that hang over Chris Kyle, and they were, and they, they, I think they treated it well, but they weren't reverent, and I'm beginning to like that. You know, my, I've had a for a long time, I've had a, you know, hands off the veterans, especially your combat veterans policy, and I'm, I'm starting to revisit that, and that's all I'll say on that subject for right now. Um, there's a lot of things that I think uh, we, I think, uh, you know. That you're anytime you have something that's out of bounds for questioning, it, you're, you're in dangerous territory. That's the whole. Uh, that's one of the things about religion is they put these things in, into these sacred categories that you're not allowed to ask questions about, <clears throat> and then that makes it impossible to you know evolve and change over time. So. I, I will have to say that neither one of the, us have seen the movie. Right. So we can't re- weigh in on the actual film. Uh, everything I've heard about it is it's it's very moving and it's uh most people like it as a film uh so but we can't weigh in on that aspect of it well i happen to personally know a few seals and those guys can balance a beach ball on their nose like nobody's (laughs) business (laughs) so i've heard and garrison was listening to uh serial last time i checked in with her about podcasts and i don't know where she's at with that you know, I just got so crazy busy. I, I'm only still on episode four. I think I was on episode two when last we spoke. And I, I, I'm still riveted. It's just finding the time. I've got so many other things going on. Word. We've got a few of our favorite things. Um, and this is a, a, a couple weeks old, but um, <laughs> it was so fucking priceless. I forgot to bring it up at the last show. But um, 
So Fox News at the end of 2014 started a, tried to start a hashtag campaign on Twitter called Over It 2014. Awesome. And if you haven't yet, you should go on Twitter and search yes. for the hashtag over at 2014 because at like everything Fox tries to do on social media just blows right up in their fucking face. I don't know why they can't get it through their head that, you know, the the baby boomer demographic that they really appeal to isn't on Twitter. So when they go on Twitter and they try to start a hashtag campaign, literally like 90% of the people on Twitter pretty progressive liberal types that live in the twitter sphere and the you know in the uh, and online and they just get fucking digitally raped on there like well, it's it is because they're just... so insular they think that everybody thinks the way that they yeah. do because they're surrounded by people who just kiss their ass over and over and over again so when they get out there in the larger world and then they keep hearing back that they are not the be all end all i think it's absolutely hysterical i love it yeah th- so i tweeted at them Dipshits like at Fox News Politics and at Fox and Friends being the favored soapbox for hashtag racist, hashtag homophobic, hashtag fearmongering pieces of shit, hashtag over at 2014. <laughs> and that was my tweet, but that's just one of oh, you've got to go thousands, literally hours and hours of fun. It's I, great. I, I read, I read at least fifty tweets, at least fifty the first time I got on there. And I don't think there was a single positive one in there. It was literally 100% of the ones I saw were them bashing Fox. So it was pretty sweet. So you got to yeah, check that out. it really out. was. Do you have any favorite things for this week? Any favorite things for this week? Well, actually, uh, once again, I, I do favorite things, emphasis on the things. Uh, Eric, for Christmas, um, gave me wonderful things. But my, my favorite, favorite gift for Christmas was my friend Barb gave me a telescoping back scratcher. <laughs> and Eric Eric scratches my back reluctantly, but he still does it. And now I don't have to I don't have to uh, you know rely on him. I can actually do it. So that is if you if you've never gotten one, they're fabulous. Right on. Today in stupid shit. I'm sorry we don't have any intro music for these segments. Uh, something something went wrong with our device just as we were trying to start recording the show. So we just have to do without it on this episode. But um, it was Fox and Friends. Yeah, they they're they're. <laughs> They're out honest. to get us. Um, so today in uh, stupid shit, um, one of the things that I've found with the atheist community at large, especially on Facebook, is a decided lack of sense of humor. And so <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, I have a wildly inappropriate sense of humor, and a lot of what I say is sarcastic and ironic, and and in it's bashing and insulting in a sarcastic and ironic way, and it's meant to be hyperbole and over the top. So, but if you if you read what I put on Facebook and Twitter and take it literally, it's it's horrific shit. It's harsh. <laughs> it's really harsh. But it, the bottom line is, it's definitely not intended that way. And anybody with a real sense of humor. If your default setting is to ask, are they joking? Or if your default setting is, are you fucking kidding me? There's a distinct difference there. And so my message to the atheist community today is fucking lighten up a little bit, you guys. You take yourselves way too seriously. Well, that's in general. Most people do. Yeah, and I think that... Especially more, you know... Well, I think that, you know, probably a lot of it's rooted in the fact that so much of the time atheists spend online is in combative situations with Christian friends and relatives and 
well, sure, conservatives. They have their and so, because and they're yeah, always your, being attacked. Yeah, your hackles are up pretty much all the time, and I get that. I, I totally get that myself. But you know, you know, it doesn't always have to be that way. So just lighten up a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so today's episode is personal responsibility versus original sin. And I think that before we get into that, we need to define specifically what they are. So I just Googled original sin, and this is what came up. The tendency to sin innate in all human beings, held to be inherited from Adam in consequence of the fall. The concept of original sin was developed in the writings of St. Augustine. Now that's just the first definition that popped up on my Google search. And it's sufficient for what we need to get launched here. The concept of original sin is the root of all religion because original sin is the hook. Yeah, it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, what I'm talking about here is it's the hook in that it, in order to convince you you need to join a religion, we have to first establish that the religion has something you need. Well, original sin is the hook because original sin is what, what the religion tells you this is what's wrong with you, and then we have the solution. Exactly. And all religions do that. And specifically the Abrahamic religions all have the same model for the fall, original sin, whatever you want to call it. The, the original sin specifically is is most often associated with Catholicism. But as it's the largest sect of Christianity, we're just going to use it here. But the concept is throughout all religions. Even in something like Buddhism— they will tell you that you have this natural tendency towards attachment, and we have the solution by meditating. We can teach you non-attachment. Non-attachment. And, or Samsara is chanting or yeah. whatever. Their various sects have different solutions. But the bottom line is, in order to, cre- to recruit you to a religion, we have to establish that there's a problem that then the religion has the solution for. Exactly. Original sin is that whatever that is for every religion. So in the story of Christianity, original sin is established by Adam and Eve eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. That is an interesting story in and of itself for a few reasons, and we're going to go ahead and talk about that a little bit because we're going to lay the groundwork for some upcoming uh, stuff we've got coming up on the show. So... The way the story goes is there was a Garden of Eden. It was a perfect place. It was heaven on earth. It was totally utopia. And God made everything, and he made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden. He said, you have complete domain of the garden, with the exception of this one tree. And it's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And you can't eat of that tree. If you eat of that tree, we're gonna, you're going to get cast from the garden forever. And so everything went along fine for a while. Then one day Eve was strolling around the garden, and she went near the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and in that tree there was a serpent. And the serpent, which is supposed to have been either the embodiment or a serpent that was possessed by Lucifer, the great deceiver... I know, right? This <laughs> just I'm telling the story my is like as he's saying this. By it's the so way. fucking stupid. But it anyway, is this so is idiotic. the story. And many the fundamentalists believe this literally. Okay, so the snake talks to Eve and says, "Hey, hey, come over here, eat of this tree." And she says, "No." And the snake, you know, basically cons her into eating of the tree, and she takes a bite of the apple, the forbidden apple, and she realizes what she's done. 
And she, but she initially, supposedly, she feels wiser and more knowledgeable and worldly because now she knows this difference between knowledge of good and evil. And then she goes and gets Adam to also eat the apple. Now, this is, this is, this action, this, this aspect of the story is why it's important that we talk about it in this episode because it's going to lay the groundwork for upcoming episodes. The fact that Eve, in and of herself, in her actions, was not capable of damning mankind. Not by herself alone. Because she was not the main character. Because she the was garden. only a rib, you remember. Right. She was just the second. She was the second. Yeah. She was a factory second. She, but what she could do is she could use the evil, venomous vagina. Yeah, the power of tempt, the puss. Yeah, the p- power of the puss to tempt Adam to also sin with her. So not only was she not prestigious enough to cause the fall of man by her action, and by man I mean humankind, by her action, she was the reason Adam fell because she, she he was powerless to the power of the puss. Yeah, he was duped. And that that's several several things take root there. First, we've got misogyny right there. Just in the fucking inception, there's misogyny. The first two human beings on Earth... This magnificent creator establishes a, a, a dominant role for the man. Second, we've got the, necess- the the inherently evil nature of woman, and that she is completely insidious, and it's her fault that we fell, yada, yada, yada. And third, and this is one of the things that pisses me the fuck off, is that it establishes this mindset of man, of men being able to be gotten to a point of temptation or arousal by a woman at which they have no more control over themselves. In that, and this is where the birth of rape culture takes place. In that, you know, there's a point where, you know, if you're wearing a skimpy enough skirt and you wag your butt right in front of us, you know, well enough and you tempt us, there's a point where we'll get aroused to the point that we're going to have sex with you and it's your fault for getting us there because there's a point beyond which we don't have control of ourselves. Yeah, and that's a, fucking a, a, bullshit. A little slight slip of the fig leaves and, and you're all ours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's so fucking stupid. You know, like if you're one of the men who can't control yourself, that's not that's not inherent in manhood. That's just you being an undisciplined fuckstick. That's what that is. So that's one of the things that pisses me off. But those three dynamics are interesting because they're three problems that we continue to deal with in the modern world. But they are a part of the creation story of the Garden of Eden. Okay? So anyway, Eve tempts Adam to also eat the apple. God comes and finds them. They're no longer clothed in light, and their nakedness is apparent, and they try to hide it from God with leaves, yada, yada, yada. He throws them out of the garden. And that's what's called the fall of man. And that was the birth of original sin. And from that point forward, every human being that was born on planet Earth is born with an inherently sinful nature, just like the uh, definition we read said, the tendency of to, to sin innate in all human beings. So there you have original sin. So you've got the... Of the, the Christian variety. Well, that's actually... the That story well, is Judeo, yeah, 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 Christian, yeah, and yeah, Islamic. Exactly. They all three talk yeah. about that story. Now, in yeah. the Quran, they have slightly like... I think they have slightly, slightly different, different names, yeah. but... It's essentially the same story. It's about the same people. It's the same fucking yeah. thing. Um, and, you know, if you go back in any other religion, 
mythology, whatever Greek mythology, you know, there's the, uh, uh, you know, cursed nature of man because he stole from the gods and, you know, yada, yada, yada. There's, there, there's always a reason why man is getting shit on and why man now has this inability to control the fact that he's got an inherently fucked quality about himself. And that's what's, that's what's sort exactly. of the undercurrent of what we're talking about today. Okay, so in order to get you in, the, the religion has to say, okay, you've got this problem. You've got this inherently sinful nature. And we've got the solution. Exactly. We can we've save you from that. We've got the get-out-of-jail-free card. Exactly. We, we've got salvation. Yeah. And then the plan of salvation. Well, that, that story of the sinful nature of man also, because as soon as they're thrown out of the garden, that's when the blood cult starts. That's when the uh, animal sacrifices begin... In their story, you know. And human sacrifices. Right. And they, well, the, you know, according to the Bible, the only human sacrifices were the ones that God said, exactly. which brings us to Abraham. Yeah, hello. You know, Abraham is the father of the three big religions in the world today. His sons became the head of Judaism and Islam, and then ipso facto, the Christians were born out of the Judeo, you know, lineage of that side of the family. But... Abraham was chosen as the as the as God's chosen one to give birth to this nation of chosen people because God came to him and told him to go and sacrifice his own son and he took Isaac up to the mountain and was just about to bring the knife down on top of the altar when God stayed his hand and said okay you pass the test which is like so in order to be a man after God's own heart you have to be willing to kill your own children Exactly. And it and it, it also says there there there's places in the New Testament where it furthers that psychology and that, you know, Jesus actually says, you know, if you're going to be one with me, you can no longer be of your family and all that kind of crap too, and where of he course, goes into Jesus' father sacrificed him. So I mean it just follows. Exactly. That it's a and it's this tradition of this blood cult. So now now we've established that not only do we have an inherently fucked sinful uncontrollably evil nature but the solution for it is these bloody ritual i mean that's that's the dynamic and that's been the way it was for thousands of years and um, they vary between the different uh, sects but basically it is uh, a blood yeah uh, sacrifice of some kind and it, there's and there's always this you know this the notion of putting your enemies to the sword and all that kind of stuff too to and and a lot of times to demonstrate your fealty to this god you know the old testament god and the you know the god of the quran and uh, the god of the torah they're all three the same books basically um this guy's not a nice person he wants you to kill he wants you to kill a lot um, if you read what the Israelites were allegedly instructed by God to do when they got to the promised land, it's pretty fucking hideous. slaughter everybody and take it for yourself. Well, except for the young virgins. Yeah, and then yeah, you keep then those you and keep fucking rape the shit yeah, out of them. Because yeah, you, know, so you got awesome. to grow the herd, you know. Yeah. And then you've got the ultimate sacrifice being Jesus that we just mentioned. and that, that that's And that's where the plan of salvation takes root. Okay, and supposedly after the sacrifice of Jesus, no more ritual sacrifices were required because that was the ultimate sacrifice. So you don't have to actually kill animals in the name of God anymore because he sent his son and that supplanted all of that. And supposedly, so you're born in original sin. The only solution for you, according to Christianity, is that you have to accept the sacrifice that Jesus 
You have to made bathe on in the, the cross. blood of the lamb, right? And you have to ritualistically bathe in the blood yep. of the lamb every. Some some churches do it every week. Some do it once a month. Some do it once a quarter. Some do it once a year. But every Christian sect has some sort of ritual where they do communion service. They eat of the body. It's the uh, Transubstantiation. Transubstantiation is the is the concept of you know you eat the wafer and it becomes the bl- body of Christ and, and you, then drink you drink the, the wine, wine or the grape the juice and it becomes the blood of Christ. Yeah, so that's where the birth of original sin is, and that's why it's important to the to the church. And I'm saying that in the in quotes because I want it to mean all Christian churches, the organization of Christianity. And the organization of all religions, but again, we'll just kind of focus on Christianity here because that's what we're all familiar with. So now they've got the hook and they've got the solution, and now they need to keep you. Yeah. So they got to keep you around. And part of that was in the Catholic Church, probably Catholics probably did the best job of this with the notion of the confessional in that, you know, okay, so you've got this inherently sinful nature. You can't do anything about it, but the only thing you can do to save yourself is accept the sacrifice of Jesus. But even after you do that, you're still you still have this sinful nature, and you're going to go out and do bad things. So because you order just can't to, help yourself, right? Exactly, because you just can't help you yourself. You can't because you're you know that's you're, that's, that's how you are. Yep. Yep. And so then you go come back to confessional, and the Catholic Church had like you know for years and you know for a long time there were these like basically it was like a like a payment system for different levels of sin, and you just basically paid money for the forgiveness of these sins. See, in Islam and in Judaism, they they have acts of contrition. And they As did that too in Catholicism. But Catholicism different, was different, though. The, yeah, it involved but, paying money to the church mostly, or crawling on your knees to the cross. But uh, and you know you can pray in contrite ways in uh, Judaism and um, other like self sacrifice in Islam. Yeah, there's um, it, but it's but it's basically all the same thing. It 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 maintains the power base of the church yeah. is ultimately what it does. So let's read the let me read the definition of personal responsibility right now. The idea that human beings choose, instigate or otherwise cause their own actions. A corollary idea is that because we cause our actions, we can be held morally accountable or legally liable. So if personal responsibility was something which most people at least pay lip service to personal responsibility being a good thing. And what's ironic in our culture is that the Christian right, the conservatives, you'll hear them bandy that term about quite a bit. But the reality is, is they don't actually practice personal responsibility because as soon as one of them slips up and commits a sin, then then well, what are you going to do? Nah, that's just human nature because we're born in sin. Oh, I tripped and my dick fell in somebody's butt. Oh, my God, that's just sinful right. nature. Oh, exactly. you know, I'm so sorry, right. and I'm born again. And that's a sad, like, reality of this whole dynamic. So does original sin conflict with personal responsibility? It absolutely does. They're mutually exclusive concepts. That's the problem. And when you talk about a society where you're looking to advance, you know, you're looking to move forward from a police state, you're looking to move, you know, in a direction of, you know, actual self-reliance, especially when, when, when you're talking about morally, then it's important that you shed this concept of original sin. Otherwise, there's nowhere for you to go. See, that's why I could never espouse fully the whole uh, Judaic Christian ethos. 
because I never, I've never in my entire life believed that I was a miserable sinner and that I didn't have a choice. Whenever I did things that I knew were wrong, I knew I was doing them. It's not like they took me by surprise. And so therefore, I, I could never uh, espouse this because that really is the inherent belief system that you have to have in order to buy all the rest of it. You have to truly believe that you are no good without Jesus, ever. It, it, and so it benefits the church to not actually seek a cure, a permanent cure, for this notion that you're inherently fucked. Because if they did, then they become obsolete. So there, the, the church will never publicly acknowledge that personal responsibility is, that fully, full and complete personal responsibility is even a possibility. Because oh, if they, yeah. the minute they acknowledge that, they just close the doors on their own business, and they'll never do that. They will absolutely never do that. This new pope, despite the, you know, he's starting to show his true colors finally, and I fucking knew he would. So we're talking about personal responsibility. In the in the last week or so, there was a major, like, terrorist attack in, in France where a bunch of artists were killed by... Yeah, Charlie uh, Hebdo. Yeah, it's... It, I don't know how to say it. In Charlie French. Hebdo. Charlie Hebdo. <laughs> oh, wow. We need to cut that out. <laughs> Never. That's some sweet French I threw down on it right there. That's culture for you, baby. Um, but there are a couple of rifle, a, a couple of gunmen went in there, Islamic gunmen went into the, and killed 12 people. Because of their deep... Uh, depiction of Muhammad and the fact it, that they made fun of them. Right. Not only did they... Because it's it's against... It's actually not against the Quran. It's against a particular type of Islamic law that's not Shira, actually in the Quran. Uh, no, it's not. It's not Sharia. There's an actual name for it, but it's you have to go to Quranify me, <laughs> the podcast Quranify me, if you want to actually find out the details on the Quran. He's the one who actually just as sort of a side yeah, note. He's brilliant. He he does the uh, he does the same thing we do with Christianity, but he does it with the Quran, and it's it's pretty fascinating stuff. If you're interested in the Middle Eastern side of this whole thing, then you should definitely check that out. Anyway, they they went in, they killed twelve people, and then the Pope on a tour of America this week has said that you can't go around ridiculing people's belief systems. If you do, you can expect to get hit. And basically, not didn't come right out and say that the shootings were justified, but said that, hey, you know, you play with fire, you're going to get burned. That was definitely what he was going around saying. You know, he's also, you know, gay marriage and women's rights are two things that he continues to be on the wrong side of history of, which are, the, you know, gun violence, women's rights, and gay marriage. You know, it's interesting, when he first came are, in, he was sort of waffly about that. And then I think the powers that be sort of slapped him and said, uh-uh, uh-uh. You know, I, this I, is not this is not the basic tenets of uh, of the the church. So get get on the right side. I st- I still think you and a lot of other people are giving that guy too much credit. No, I think I he's don't the give best too spin much doctor that, that church has had in a long time. I absolutely agree, but I think he went too far with the spin, trying to you know garner yeah, but, more well, people. Well, you made in. it sound like it was the church that came to him and said you need to dial it back a notch. It very it it, it was probably him that went. Yeah, we need to reel that one. No, back I think in the, the Cardinals, uh, you know, got together and anyway, said, Mm-mm. "We're speculating." I've I've been suspicious of this guy all along, and now he's starting to show his true colors. So, if we have this inherently sinful nature, and then you do something to defy 
the sacrosanct, the the thing that's sacred, then you can hardly blame this inherently sinful nature for lashing out in the only way it knows how is the perception that the church would have on this situation, which is basically what the Pope said in so many words. So it continues to substantiate the, the position that... See, and that, that's the divergence of the Christian and Islam, because in the Islamic tradition, what they did was actually um, those acts were actually getting them closer to heaven right they, 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 that was actually that they, those kind of acts are mandated well and that's what gets the inherent sin but there's but there's uh, you know there's it's it's i think they're they're more overt about it but I, we have the same thing in our culture there was a picture going around uh facebook the other day of an army recruiting poster in america and i'll try to remember to put this up on my, i think i put it up on my facebook page but i'll try to remember to put it up in America, and it was an army recruiting poster that said for God and country on the fucking recruiting poster. It was an A-frame that was sitting out in front of a recruiting office. You know, it's not just the Islamic world that, that uses God to justify their militancy. You know, when if you look at if you look across the militarization of America since 9-11, and you look at the way the the military it's been a righteous war all along. I mean, it's been a crusade. George Bush actually used the word crusade. Yeah. Like, he actually used that word. It was, uh, at the time it was startling, but in retrospect, obviously, it's quite a bit more startling than it, w- than it, than it was even at the time. And so it's not just Islam. It, it, and, and I've come to the conclusion that the whole phrase religion of peace, regardless of what religion you're talking about, is an oxymoron. Because by its very nature, it can't be a religion of peace. There was, and, and you know, so you want to bring up Buddhists? There was an incident in Nepal in the last yeah. week where a bunch that of Buddhists went in and killed a bunch of Muslims. And it's like, well, that was weird because you hardly ever hear of Buddhists doing that. But, you know, when you think you've got the moral ascendancy, when you think you've got the direct line to God, to the Creator, to the original, to the Buddha, to whatever the fuck label you want to put on it, when you think you've got the the direct line and your you know repressed inherently sinful nature starts encouraging you to do these pathological things the human mind's ability to rationalize is great so all you got to do is take that urge that compulsion to do these dreadful things and connect that somehow in your mind to to the god source now you've got the pathology of believing that you're not actually in control of an inherently evil nature to begin with, and now you feel divine inspiration and righteous indignation motivating you to do these things over which you don't have control to stop anyway. But, you know, there's always a, a rogue element to the ones that, that come up. You know, the, the sanctioned uh, violence, which is the military, you know, as opposed to the uh, rogue violence of, say, Timothy McVeigh, which was, you know, universally reviled as it should be. Uh, you know, the, the, the rogue quality, seemingly, of the, uh, the killings at Charlie Hebdo, those sort of things are, are reviled uh, pretty much across all borders. But they're sanctioned somewhere. Well, yeah, and so we, and we're looking at the actions that we're doing, say, in the Middle East, for exactly. instance. Exactly. And as we're looking at them as righteous. sanctioned and righteous from Absolutely. where we sit. But over there, you know, one of the things on that podcast I mentioned earlier, the Joe Rogan podcast, Duncan Trussell made a very good point of pointing out, like, so you're, you know, 
you're in you're a 14 year old kid who's lived in Fallujah your whole life and you've essentially had a peaceful existence and then all and that's all you know is just you and your 14 year old friends and then all of a sudden these Americans come in and these drones come in and they just destroy your entire city and you're being told that it's because they're the great devil and you know they're agents of Satan and Lucifer and the great tempter and the devil west and all this stuff and then, you know, you get an opportunity to pick up a gun. Yep. Or pick up an IED. Yep. Or pick up something else. And, you know, if somebody was in my neighborhood blowing shit up, I'd sure as hell try to kill them. I mean, there's no... And so, you're, you know, you've got you've got people calling that kid now that's being called a terrorist. But he's just protecting. But he was just defending his yep. town, for, you know, from being invaded and, you know, and everybody being killed who he probably was and this is the problem with all of these different religions trying to claim ascendancy about them being the only one that has that direct line to whatever their god source is and that's why they're so dangerous yep it's what gets me to the other point i wanted to make there's not even a desire or an inclination in the powers that be that believe these things to seek a solution there's no like like if you look at the level of psychology that Christian psychologists and stuff go to, it ultimately just comes back to, well, you just have to pray more. I mean, that's really what their solution to pretty much everything is. Because why would you waste time trying to, you know, navigate the labyrinth of human pathology when it's just inherent in your nature? You can't fix it anyway. So why bother? Well, just like any control, mind control, uh, any kind of personal control, there has to be some uh, inherent uh, flaw, like you said earlier, the hook. And so there, there is no percentage. The church is never going to you know, figure out to how to cure that inherent flaw, that original sin, because then you know, that, that would be cutting off their, their source of income and their bodies and the mind control. It's never going to happen. Yeah, no. And and it's not, and it's, you know, I don't even think that for most of them, it's not even so Machiavellian as to say, well, you know, if we teach people how to fix their pathologies, they'll quit coming to church. It's because the the people, the priests, the Christian psychologists, the Christian counselors, the pastors, all of these people, they all believe the hype. They believe the hype. So it's not like they're... Well, see, that's interesting. I, I, I think that there is a large number of people that believe the hype. But my feeling is, and I've had this feeling, it could just be because I have bad feelings towards the Catholic Church. I think the Catholic Church is Machiavellian. I think the Catholic Church knows that it's a bunch of hooey because they created it in the first well, place. Well, I mean, they may up at the level of like the cardinals well, at that's the Vatican what I'm saying. and stuff. Just, no, just, but I'm talking about the priest and the people who are actually interacting with people. You know, the priest of uh, the the local guy down here, the local father and that kind of stuff. No, he believes this shit. Like he's not he's not a um a Machiavellian master who's just conning the community. No, I, I would agree with that. That's Joel Osteen might be a con exactly. man, but your average Christian pastor, fuck no, he believes this shit. Like, he actually believes it. Yeah. So when he's David telling Muscovich, you... David Muscovich, yes, he's a Machiavellian. I mean, he, 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 you know... Right, but, and so, but you're talking about less than 1% of the population of these populations. But isn't that the percentage that controls everything yeah, in, but you're in not, our reality? Even if you assassinated those people, this thing isn't going away because you still have all the believers on your hands. Those people, those Machiavellians, if you woke up the believers 
they'd figure out a new way to con people. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, that's 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 just how they are. Mm-hmm. So you aren't going to change them. That's not that, that's a fact. The only way you're going to change them is to kill them, and that's not an option. So the 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 reality is is that you have to wake up the individual believer. Because that's what's going to under that that's what's going to ultimately you know progress things is because people have to believe and people have to know that they can take responsibility for themselves you know that they can be morally accountable and Absolutely. legally liable for what they do and if you look at like the prison populations in this country like ninety nine point nine percent of the prison population is Christian or or Muslim yeah and if they weren't before they went in they become there. Well, because that's 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 the group to join. I mean, you know, it's 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 a it's because it's also the way they deal with how they got there. I mean, if you believe you have an inherently sinful nature, then there's a bit of relief because you're just like, well, you know, this is where I am because I have this inherently sinful nature. I just happen to have a slightly more inherently sinful nature than everybody else, maybe. Atheists, people who go about their life taking personal responsibility for themselves and realizing that, okay, you know, I have control of my morality. I have control of my impulses. I have control of my, you know, I don't have, you don't necessarily have control of every thought that pops into your head, but you certainly have control over the ones that you nurture and evolve and especially the ones that transition into physical actions. You absolutely have control over 100% of that. It's one of the things that keeps people locked in this cycle of poverty, that keeps people locked in this cycle of crime, is this sense that what does it matter? It's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can control. This is all outside of my fucking realm of control. And that whole mentality is rooted in this Judeo-Christian ethos that has, in, that has so consumed every single aspect of our society. That when they go to a place like prison, they go back to what they know because their mama and their grandma or their grandpa or their daddy took them to church. And that's the one thing that they might remember from their childhood that has any kind of like a... Because when you're in church and the music's playing and they're doing a very good job of, you know, of playing to your emotions in a positive way. And they they tear you down and build you up in the way that they want you to have. A, a church service is one of the best cons that oh, you can go are. to. They, they, They're very well orchestrated, and especially the pastors that work in these very poor communities, because they have to be extra good at what they do to prize that one or two dollars they're going to get out of their congregants' hands. They have to be really good to get that out. You know, when you're talking about an upper middle class population of suburban people. It doesn't take, you know, to get each person to kick in a few hundred bucks isn't that big of a deal. But when you're talking about a poverty-stricken area, to get those people to let go of that $5 bill, that $10 bill, you got to be really silver-tongued and you got to know how to structure a service to really get people to to throw their money down. And the way you do that is you have to constantly remind them that there is nothing they can do in and of themselves to fix this inherently sinful nature that they're plagued by, except for fealty to this God. And one of the ways you demonstrate that fealty is you put money in the offering plate. And that's the cycle. And so when these people get frustrated and the pathologies of all of that start coming out and they go out and commit crimes and then they go to prison, their way of getting right with what they've done, their way of getting right with the world is the only model they know is the Christian model. That's the one they go back to. Some of them rebel and become Muslim. 
But it's still a... a but it's a, the exact same thing. Yeah, it's just a exactly. different version of the same. It's a different uh, paradigm. Yeah. And it has... No, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I you know, I, I'm... I think that you're probably correct. It's it's. It would uh, be interesting though to actually see some numbers on that though. On what? On on you know who how many of that population had grown up in a Christian oh or I'm, a religious yeah no it's, you know, there are numbers on that and I've actually I haven't I can't quote them to you off the top of my head but one of the things that you know the atheist movement and, and activists use as evidence that atheism works is this very thing. And when you look at countries and you look at cultures where secularism, let's say, is, uh, is the norm. There's is a, the low, norm. a much lower there's, prison There's a population. phenomenally lower yeah. prison. I mean, it's, it's, it's not even comparable. It's, it's, it's such a different thing. And, you know, there was a... Uh, I've always attributed that to uh, those countries have less firearms, but... You know, I'm I'm sure you are correct. Well, they probably have less firearms because they're saner, r- more rational people. Yeah. Because they have this sense of personal responsibility where they know they're morally. And another thing that, you know, to take this to what we're talking about now, where, you know, when you look at the Middle East, right now in the Middle East and in Africa are probably the two places on the planet where life's the cheapest. Where people just put no value on the human life. They're just, you know, to die and get killed is something that's just, it's just an everyday occurrence. Yeah. That, that, that human life is the cheapest in those places. And that's where religion has its strongest, most ridiculous throttle hold on people. Where the ignorance is the highest. Where religion is the strongest. And then you go all the way to the other extreme. Once religion has lost its hold on a population, the corresponding violence goes down. Because this sense of... The, the the sense of original sin, one of the things is in, it does is it ultimately imbues you with this hopelessness. Right. You have this Complete existential futility, yeah. hopelessness of the futility of it all. Yep. What does it matter? There's nothing I can do to change exactly. it. I was born this way. It's immutable. That's the that's one of the critical things I wanted to, you know, get into this episode was was the this immutable quality to human nature that you're just born this way and there's nothing you can do about it and that is a a ridiculously dangerous a ridiculously pathological way to be because you absolutely can you know um and it has so insipid in in insidious insidiously crept into so many aspects of our society like look at the 12-step program i'm a sober person i did not get sober in the program well, all the twelve-step programs, not just for alcohol. No, no, that's why I said I said look at the twelve-step program. Yeah, is is that the first step is to acknowledge that you have this problem over which you have no control. That's the first two steps. Bullshit. I say fucking bullshit. I've been addicted to pills. I've been an alcoholic. I've been a heroin junkie and i kicked all that shit without a 12-step program without acknowledging a higher power i just did it because i was done fucking doing it i finally got to a point where personally i would rather die than have continued being the way that i was being and once i made my mind up that i wanted to change course i just did and i knew from the very fucking beginning that the only thing that was going to make my hand pick up a glass with alcohol in it and pour it down my throat was me choosing to do that. There was nothing in me that I couldn't control to stop that from happening. Yeah. I knew that from the fucking beginning. 
And so I knew that as long as I didn't pour it down my mouth, it wasn't going to get there. Yeah, I have a, a sugar addiction, and, and I uh, at times am better with it and sometimes not. But it's always a conscious, I know that I am imbibing sugar. I yeah. choose to do so. And, and there's and there's and this sense and, and it's very empowering. Once you begin to embrace this sense of like, I have control over these things. I have control over my choices. I have control over the things that I do in this life. It's a it's an extremely empowering place to be because once you begin to see that, you begin to like, oh, okay, so I'm going to exercise this authority I have over myself in all well, these it's other the areas. the only empowering place to be, really. It's really the only actual control you actually exactly. have in this planet is, mm-hmm. is over the control over your choice of what you choose to focus on, what you choose to focus your energy on, and what you choose to have actions Absolutely. That's literally like the only thing you actually have control of in this world. And it, but, but the bottom line is you do have control of it. If you don't think you do, then you're just doing it pathologically. But you are the one doing it. It ain't the devil. It's not God. It's you. You're the one doing this. No that's, matter where you go, there you are. That's it's, it. Uh, it starts with you. It ends with you. Absolutely. And so one of the things in this sort of push to normalize atheism and to and to the, the, this push to more secularize our society, the thing that I think we can all do is when you know when when you're interacting with people like take take for instance me I got I got sober like over fourteen years ago. Occasionally someone approaches me about becoming sober or they're newly sober or something like that, or they'll just post something on social media like Hey, I got twenty days or whatever, and I always interact with them coming from the perspective of it's always going to be your choice. Now, if they want to choose to go to meetings, especially when they first get sober, I don't stop anybody from doing anything that involves them not drinking or using drugs. So whatever, if you want to go, I've even gone to meetings with people. But the minute they ask my opinion or the minute I see the door open to put my thoughts down about the issue, I let them know what I think the problem with AA and all of the 12-step programs is is this sense of I'm not in control. Because I've met people in AA with more than 17, 18, 19 years. I met one guy who had over 20 years of sobriety and was terrified that if he didn't go to two meetings a day, he would lose control of himself and start drinking again. The recidivism uh, numbers are huge. You never hear this, but but in all the 12-step programs, uh, the recurrence is just it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. They claim that it's better, but it's actually the exact same as every other rehab program. No, as far is. as like as far as like the failure rate, like ninety-five mm-hmm. percent of people that go to rehab for the first time, whether it's AA or a rehab program or a drug rehab or whatever or NA or whatever, ninety-five percent of people use again. Yeah, and, and and until you are made to take responsibility for your actions, how could you not? Use again, unless, like you said, daily meetings to keep you on the right track. Yeah, and that's nonsense. It's pathetic. And so, if you, if you, you know, in our push to do this, like personal responsibility, it, it, and begin to adopt that as a mindset. And every time something goes wrong, every time something's like not, it seems like things are outside of your control. Break it down. What is this that I have control over? I see this thing as being something that's happening to me. Okay, so what role am I playing in that? And, you know, exercise that dynamic with other people, too, because ultimately you are going to be responsible for what it is you choose to do. You know, you might the 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 powers that be might be telling you you have this inherently sinful nature. But guess what? When you sin, they're going to lock your ass in fucking prison. So 
you know, they've got a place for you regardless whether you give in to that side of yourself or not. In the, in the push to secularize society, I think this is a, a super critical dynamic that must be undone. This, this, knowledge, the, this notion of original sin and mankind's essentially sinful nature. So um, before we sign off here, um, <laughs> the fucktard of the week, Joni Ernst. Oh, She's the, the junior senator from Iowa, uh, hog farmer. She did the uh, State of the Union rebuttal for the GOP. And she is the author of the failed attempt at a personhood bill in the Iowa legislature when she was a Senate there, when she she was in the Senate there on the state level. Um, And she's a very anti-gay rights, anti-gay marriage person. Um, And so... You know, she's the, she's the, and Michelle Bachman, she literally just tag teamed with Michelle Bachman to take over where Michelle Bachman left off. So now we've got a brand new Stepford wife, wife in the, in the GOP up on the Capitol Hill. And so she's the fucktard of the week this week. So that's about it for the show. Thanks for joining us this week. Got a little rambly there at the beginning, but I think we locked on and got our point across before the show ended. As always, I'm Eric, and joined by my wife, Garrison. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Pelham, and she is at Garamone, at Garamone, G-A-R-R-I-M-O-N-E. So stay tuned. we got some more good stuff coming up for you guys and some guests coming up on the next coming uh, uh, upcoming couple of shows. So thanks a lot, and stay tuned. Thanks. Bye.